Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. Here you'll learn about how to grow your home building, remodeling, or contracting business. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. This podcast has really turned into a movement and community of people who want to grow personally and professionally. Here we bring you some of the best marketing, sales, and business minds in the industry so you can elevate your business. All right, let's dive into the show. Hey guys, did you know that 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to a lack of communication during projects? The team over at BuildBook has solved that problem once and for all with a tool that keeps all the conversations and decisions between you, your team, and your clients in one place. Their simple, powerful app helps you create daily logs, schedule and manage your client tasks, keep track of selections, process change orders, and so much more. I met the BuildBook team in Vegas at IBS earlier this year, where they were chosen as a finalist for the most innovative construction tool of 2020, which is saying a lot considering how many tools are actually out there. If you're looking to remove the stress from your projects, make your clients happier, and increase your profits, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BuildBook to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. There's absolutely no risk to try it. So go ahead and hit pause and text build book to 33777 to take advantage of the trial and score the 45% off. This deal isn't available anywhere else. So I recommend at least trying out the software. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 111 with Sean McCadden. And in this conversation, we dive into an article he wrote recently, but there was a lot of really good insight and kind of topics within that. So I wanted to break it down even further and kind of get his insight into what prompted him to basically be talking about this right now. So we're going to dive into employees, job descriptions, hiring right now. That's a huge challenge. So we're going to dissect that a little bit, and then we go into some different comp models and some fun stuff like that. So I think you'll really get a lot out of this conversation. So stay tuned for episode 111 with Sean McCadden. Hey, Sean, glad to have you with me today. Thanks for having me, Spencer. Yeah, I'm excited for the conversation. You recently wrote an article that we're going to kind of dive into, and hopefully it will add some food for thought to some people that are navigating some, some crazy times right now. We're all probably, I don't know, it's always that debate, like, do we talk about it? Do we not talk? Everyone's talking. It's like, how can you not talk about it? Because it's all a part of our worlds and we, we have to navigate it. You know, it's, it's sure. unavoidable. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. How are things on your end? Doing well, doing well. I, I must say, as I, uh, we sh- I shared with you earlier, I retired a little over a year ago. So uh, I'm enjoying the retirement, although uh, the coronavirus might have uh, curtailed a little bit of the, the kind of things that I wanted to do. I've got no complaints. I'm, I'm happy. We're doing just fine. And everybody's safe here. That's good. Good. Good to hear. And yeah, I know you still do You know, some writing and impart your wisdom into the industry, so to speak. But maybe you can just give everyone listening a little bit of context about kind of the topic of the article and then we'll kind of dive into it from there. Sure. Well, what motivated me to write that article was the, you know, partially due to the concern about the virus. But also, I've, I've always been a systems person, you know, running the business, making sure it's a sustainable business, giving the business owner opportunity to have a life outside the business, 
you know, boils down to systems. So it was an opportunity to kind of combine the both that, in other words, if you want to hire and keep good people and we have coronavirus to deal with, right? People who are going to be working remotely on their own, whether that's at home or at the job site, less interaction, say, uh, less opportunity for micromanaging now, which unfortunately a lot of contractors, uh, their business relies on their micromanaging. And so if they're going to do that, they're putting their own health at risk, their employees' health at risk, their customers' health at risk. So it kind of motivated me to, especially at the beginning of the, uh, the pandemic there, to provide that level of information. So as people were trying to figure out how to do this remote thing, that they had some insight, maybe some things that, that would help guide them rather than uh, reinvent the wheel. Right. So hopefully maybe some guidance so that they can uh, figure out what their wheel needs to do instead of inventing the wheel to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned in there was just that a lot of people, when we get busy, we end up hiring employees that maybe we shouldn't. And I'm curious to get your take on that. You've probably seen it numerous times. Why do people do that? Why do they hire that employee that isn't the superstar, the rock star? And then, you know, you get into it and you're like, oh, this is just a drain. You know, what forces that decision? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, there are many reasons, as I'm sure you're aware of Spencer. But what I find is very common behind that is I kind of explain it as a difference between hiring and recruiting. People wait until they already, business owners wait until they already need an employee and they're desperate. I need somebody there on Tuesday or, you know, the homeowner is going to be mad at me. So it's, it's almost like sometimes if, if the candidate answers all the questions correctly, whether the information is true or not, they're ready to jump. They're going to put them in there. And then they actually, unfortunately, I see too many contractors abdicate what's going on at the job site to this new employee that maybe answered the questions correctly, but perhaps didn't know what they were doing. You know, to give a simple example, I remember one time back when I was still working in the field and wearing a tool belt at the beginning of my business, I had a young kid and uh, I had a lot of roofing to do at the time. So I, uh, I said to him, well, can you do roofing? Oh yeah, I'm a roofer. I know how to do roofing. And uh, I don't know if you would know this. I don't know your experience with, uh, with roofing, but we're doing the roofing. We were doing step flashings where the roof met up to the side of the building, one piece at a time with every course of shingles. That's the way you do it. And he looked at me and said, hey, why are you doing all those little pieces of flashing? Why don't you just put one long one in there? And I was like, man, he obviously doesn't know enough about roofing. You know, the fact that he could nail shingles down and carry them up the ladder, you know, probably to him, he thought he was a roofer. So I think that's unfortunately what a lot of contractors do, especially because they don't have written job descriptions, you know, in advance, describe the skills, the, the duties of these people before they hire them. And then unfortunately, too many contractors hire an employee and then think of the job description. Like now that I have this guy and I see what he's going to do, then, then this is what his job description is, as opposed to this is what I need in my company. So I want a job description so I can use it to filter out applicants. I'm curious to dig into what goes into that job description, but you kind of mentioned you make this decision to hire somebody and it's too late, you know? And so you think about, okay, are you hiring on time, ahead or late? And, you know, we talk about that a lot here because if you are growing and you need that person, I mean, ideally you're actually hiring them ahead in anticipation because you know there's the training and you know getting them up to speed and so yeah. it sounds like what you're saying is people are hiring late you know they're going oh i need somebody now but they really needed them a month two three months ago is that kind of what you're saying well not necessarily because they okay. they usually wait until they're already out of you know lost an employee or, or you know they're way behind on their schedule so 
they get it. They, they, they bring somebody on. Maybe one way to, to look at it is they're being reactive instead mm-hmm. of being proactive. So the way I would look at it, you know, hiring, you're being reactive because you already needed that person in, in place. Recruiting is more of you keep your eye open all the time and you put the word out there. And, you know, as my business grows, I'm going to need more carpenters. I'm going to need, you know, this certain person within my office to assist with what we have. And here's the kind of business I have. And here's the opportunity that I'm going to provide. But here's also the person that I'm looking for. You know, here's the, the demographics and maybe even the psychographics of the person I'm looking for. So if you spread that out to your network, I think what what ends up happening is you end up with many more candidates and perhaps people who come to you looking for the job. And and then you can think about it. I don't know about you, but if I had the perfect employee candidate show up and I wasn't ready for them, but I knew I was going to need them in a month, I'd grab them right then and there. As opposed to let me wait a month because I don't need them yet. And then you're like at the mercy of what's available within the amount of time you're willing to spend and the energy you're willing to maybe put in to qualify the right employee. That makes a lot of sense. So really the the way you break it down is hiring versus recruiting. And recruiting is kind of that always looking, always, you know, reaching out, eyes up for that right person. And then knowing that, hey, when they come along, like grab them because you got to train them anyway and bring them up to speed and and then you can put them, then they'll be at full capacity. <laughs> yeah. So there's that, but also as well, it may be that you could actually find somebody you don't have to train. Right. If especially if you're recruiting and you're looking, think about how much time it would take to train somebody who doesn't know the skills that you need, as opposed to if you found somebody who did, how much quicker you could actually put them to work and and put them to work efficiently within your office, whether that's the office or the field. Yeah, fair point. Well, and I think that leads us to the job description, which, you know, if you write a really good job description, then hopefully you can find that person that doesn't need as much training but it also probably does a number of other things for you. So what are kind of some of the bigger mistakes that you see with a lot of guys that are writing job descriptions that, that aren't doing what they want them to really do? Well, the first big mistake is just not to have them. But unfortunately, that's probably the majority. I, I, would, I would hazard to guess at least 80% of you know, contractors under 2 million just don't have job descriptions and not even for themselves. They should have a job description for their own responsibilities, in my opinion. Beyond that, I guess one of the biggest mistakes I see is they just hunt for one online. Oh, I found Mm. one for a carpenter. That's it. That's good enough. Right. So to me, if you think about it, depending on what your company does, if you're doing kitchens and baths versus you're doing, you know, vinyl siding, that's two completely different job descriptions and perhaps even skills. And it doesn't mean that one person is, you know, more valuable than the other because they're a roofer versus a kitchen installer. It's the value to your business, right? Again, if, if you don't hire the right roofing, your roof's going to leak. You got you to get the, uh, the right person involved in that. So that, that's what I think is that, you know, maybe uh, the, one of the bigger mistakes is just finding something from somebody else and putting it to use. Unfortunately, contractors do that with their contracts as well. Mm-hmm. So it may protect the other guy if that guy got a lawyer, but it may not protect your business. But, you know, you're thinking you got a deal because you got it for free. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. That's a big mistake there too, getting stuff free, <laughs> thinking you're getting the value. Yeah, that's a trap. You know, it's easy to fall into. Oh, it's free, but then it ends up uh, causing more damage than free. <laughs> so where do you recommend people start with these job descriptions? I know you said, you know, most people don't have them. So if somebody doesn't have one, do you just start writing or is it, you know, are there some key elements that you like to include in that? 
you know, you've already mentioned that you don't want to just copy and paste somebody else's or hire them and then write it, you know? So what does it look like writing it first? <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with collecting different job descriptions to see how others have already done. That's one of the ways that I learned way back when, you know, before I became a consultant that I was you know, just starting myself. It's look at what others did. And then uh, what I would typically do is make a hybrid out of the different things that I found, bring them together. What I guess I would recommend to people is, is you know, well, well, how about this? Most job descriptions I see people put together and use, they describe the skills that they expect the employee to have. I think the challenge with that is, is that it doesn't identify the outcomes that we're expecting if the employee uses those skills correctly. So just a simple example might be, you know, the lead carpenter to review job cost reports once a week. Okay, well, I can just check off that box. I, I reviewed them. Yeah, well, what was the enough. purpose of reviewing? <laughs> you know, is it review job cost reports once a week to be prepared in the production meeting to share any variances with the estimating team so we can update our estimating assumptions once a week? That would be just one example of a, what I call a performance objective when you're writing job descriptions. What is the outcome we're expecting if the employee is properly doing their job? That's a really good example because I think oftentimes probably have to go back and look at some of our job descriptions, you know, because yeah. you list off those, those skills or, you know, things that you're looking for, or even if you're describing something in more detail, it doesn't necessarily hit on the outcome, which is what you kind of highlighted there, which is, you know, really, if we achieve this outcome, some of the details may not actually even matter. Obviously, we want to follow procedure and protocol, but, you know, is that kind of what you're saying, like outcome first, and then, and then you've got the other skills and other details that go from there? Yes, outcome first, but, but at the same time, I, I think you kind of alluded to it already, Spencer. We're after an outcome, but we have to have rules or offenses mm -hmm. within which the employees can operate. I mean, obviously, it's got to be done legally. You know, maybe it right. has to be approved by somebody before they do it. You know, if I, if I just even give a, an example for, you know, a position within the office, let's say there's, a, you know, relative to what, you know, you folks do, what if there's a marketing person within that business? You know, is it, so should they just post a blog once a week? I mean, well, you know, then it's up to them to decide what to write it on, or should they be posting a blog once a week that supports attracting the certain demographic and psychographic of the customer type we want to have for our business? That's a whole different blog article than write a blog article once a week. Great point. Yeah, there's so much more that goes behind the bullet point of all these things that we put in a job description. Yeah, there's a lot more level of detail and steps and procedure. So yeah, yeah, I like that. In the article, you kind of talked about more of like, a, I guess, performance-based, which I think we've kind of touched on that performance-based job description, but also kind of rethinking compensation. Can you talk a little bit about what you're describing there with, you know, kind of tied into the current environment as well? Because I think that's pretty, pretty timely. Well, on compensation, be a couple of things I would recommend. Depending on the job position. Now, if we've got a carpenter's helper, it's going to be pretty clear that that's probably just going to be a you know an hourly wage for something like that. But if we're talking a production manager, rather than an hourly wage, which basically means if you show up, we'll pay you, and we'll pay you, gosh, seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year, depending on the market, to get a good person in there. I don't know that that's necessarily wise. I would say something different based on performance would be a better way to 
pay a production manager. So for, for example, how about the production manager gets paid based on the number of dollars of gross profit that the company actually earns. So if there's a goal to earn $500,000 of gross profit this year, can that be tied to then the uh, production manager's compensation? That if he only helps us pull off 400000 then maybe he's only going to get four-fifths of his anticipated salary for that. The bottom line is, if he doesn't help us do enough gross profit, we didn't earn enough money to cover his salary and all the rest of the overhead. So that's one example of what I would suggest is performance-based. The other piece of it, though, is the reality of, uh, especially right now, I was having a conversation with, uh, perhaps I think you know Mark Pascal? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had a conversation earlier today with Mark, and he was talking about how very difficult it is for his clients right now. He does a lot of coaching with contractors. Very difficult for him to find carpenters and even others, you know, with for people in the office, managers for in the office, that they're just not out there right now. Nobody's available. If they're good, they're working. So I think that is a difficulty. And then just realistically, if you want people to come into this industry and work as hard as it takes to work in it, maybe the exposure to the weather, the physical side of it, I think you have to pay adequate for them to take your job versus some other more cushy job where they can sit at the desk and they're you know, not going to damage their fingernails going to work during the day. And I think you know, also part of that is, is our industry, I think, needs to step up here. Maybe one way it's you know, a little bit satirical, but you know, uh, how many mothers say, hey, you know what I think when you grow up, you should become a carpenter. That way you can work outside in the freezing cold all the time. You can worry about whether you're going to get 40 hours a week. You can get to work at unsafe job locations all the time. And you know what? You'll be working with other people that'll just scream at you if you do something wrong during the day. Right? I mean, and unfortunately, <laughs> sounds like a blast. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, unfortunately, very true that a lot of those kind of things happen with our, in, in our industry. And then also, what mother's going to say, and you should definitely get a job that doesn't have any benefits or any vacation time. And, and then that way you won't have any health care and you'll be like a lot of other Americans without health care. Right? They're just not saying that stuff. So who wants to come into this industry if the compensation and the benefits that go with a package aren't there? They're going to go to another industry where they can get those things. And as I said, the physical side of this industry, which I think can be a plus for a lot of people, it can really help them. On the other hand, you know, there are a lot of people that are afraid of that physical work, especially when it's cold outside or too hot outside or something like that. So digging into that a little bit deeper, where do you think the opportunity is for most of these contractors? I mean, is it in leveling up the comp package and trying to, you know, steal people away from other companies, as you said, that like they could be working somewhere else. And so it's, there's got to be something better. Is it culture or, or do we need to just kind of invest in training and pulling people into the industry and, and then saying, hey, here's the path? Is a combo of everything? Like, where do you think the, the moves to be made are? I know you s- probably see and, and think about this a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, you've got some experience working with contractors. That you, you hit a lot of the nails right on the head. I mean, it's, it's all of those things that some of them business owners may have already, and some of them, there may be a deficit of those things at their business. I guess, you know, here's the thing is, if, it, and you also mentioned, um, you know, you would have to steal employees. And some people say that, including I would say that, you know, you're probably going to have to steal somebody. I don't know that you physically want to go steal somebody. Sure. You offer them an opportunity that's better than the one they have right now. So they're willing to switch 
from the comfort level they may have in their current job to take the risk to move over to something they perceived as going to be better. That's how I would suggest you do it. So rather than, you know, I guess here's the thing. If you're going to steal somebody by paying $2 more an hour to get them to come to your company, that same person is going to be stolen by somebody else for another $2 an hour. So what you've got to do is offer things that they either feel and or just can't get at another company. So things that are very rare within our industry, you know, maybe in the larger companies, the, the, you know, the, uh, the replacement companies, there's a lot more benefits offered. But otherwise, your typical contractor is not offering any kind of retirement funding, any kind of health care coverage, or if they are, it's very little. Vacation time is, is kind of like, all right, well, when the boss takes a vacation, he'll shut the business down for two weeks, so you have to take your vacation that time too. Right? Those are not going to help you attract the right people. If you've followed Builder Funnel for even a little bit, you know we're huge believers in the inbound marketing methodology. One of the most important phases is the client delight phase. By delighting customers, you turn them into promoters of your business and your brand. The only way to get people to go out of their way to sing your praises is to wow them throughout the process. This is something the guys over at BillBook are helping you do. Better communication leads to better outcomes. And that means communication at every level daily logs, client selections, punch lists, and change orders. Today, that communication gets super fragmented between email, text, and phone calls, and inevitably, things fall through the cracks. With BuildBook, everything funnels through one simple app, keeping everyone on the same page and your clients filled with delight. No more digging through texts or random emails looking for client approvals. Just one place to see everything going on with a project. And as a reminder, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. All right, let's get back to the show. So again, though, let's tie it back to don't go out and try to hire now and steal people. How about if you were recruiting? You know, if I said, hey, Spencer, you know, I, I saw you coming in out of the lumberyard this past week, and I noticed that you're uh, very respectful, you keep your truck clean, you're always well-dressed and organized, and, and I see you keep a notepad, you don't come in here on a half a sheet of drywall with your materials list, you look like you could be a really good employee. I tell you what, you know what, if, if uh, for any reason you'd like to consider a different opportunity than one you have, maybe my opportunity might be better. If you're interested in talking to me, here's my card, it was a pleasure meeting you. That's the kind of thing I'm suggesting you can recruit and then tempt them on that. Now, here's the thing, though. If you tempt them with this great culture you have and, you know, the opportunity for growth and all that, you've got to make sure it's real. They're not going to stay very long and they're going to spread that word. So perhaps maybe part of the job descriptions that we were talking about earlier might include mm -hmm. the career path. Like if I'm bringing you in as a carpenter's helper, well, what comes next? If you learn certain skills and you have certain experience at the job site, maybe then you can move up to become a carpenter. And here's how we're going to get you there. Not like, well, we'll see what happens when you get here. No, young kids today, young, younger workers, I shouldn't say kids, younger workers today, they're not just going to believe you. They saw, you know, what their parents went through and, you know, thought they were going to have a job forever and a retirement fund and it all went away. So they're not going to believe employers. They're going to want to see proof that, that it, this is really real. So a job description that shows what advancement comes next and what the company's going to do to help get them there, 
that's maybe one of the things that would attract him in addition to the benefits and the, the health care, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love that. And it made me think of something too that we, we talk about on the marketing side of things with social media. A lot of people think that's, oh, a branding marketing tool, but it's a really strong recruiting tool. And I think it gets overlooked because that's where you can showcase some of the things you're describing, you know, culture and, you know, the proof, you know, that some of those things that you kind of have to feel and it's tough to put that on a piece of paper in a job description and people can go and they can check you out on social and see your team and see the, the types of things that you, you do and how you engage with each other. And I think I didn't really pick on that up on that early enough, but we've really seen that in the last probably 18 months and people that have been coming to us and going, you know, they get into the interview process and they are already mentioning like photos on your Instagram and, oh, I went to your team page. I went here and here. And you're like, oh, okay. So I guess this stuff does really work. So when I was owning my company way back when, I mean, the, the, uh, the whole, like back then it was like, you were ahead of time. If you just had a website, we didn't have the social media stuff and all that. And so our social media, we would, uh, we had quality audits that we'd use with our clients, our past clients. And uh, we would leave a section for comments, you know, let us know what you, you thought. And a lot of times they would comment on the carpenters, the lead carpenters and the subcontractors that went to the job site. Well, we learned, don't, don't put the original in the window because the sun will fade it. But we would make photocopies and hang those in the window of our storefront. We were on our main street and there was a bus stop right, right in front of where our, our office location was. And people would stand there and stare at them and read those things. And I think that that helped too, because they showed mm -hmm. that we had this culture. It was true. Our clients were saying it, and, you know, it talks about, you know, say the, you know, the, the responsibility that we give these people in the field to do their jobs correctly on site at the time things happen. And I think that's what a lot of good carpenters want. They don't want to be micromanaged. They want the opportunity to flourish and grow within the business. So all those little things, it's again, being strategic, right? We're back to the describing what the marketing manager should do. And it should help us find the best employees, you know, the, the ones that really want to grow and put, you know, customer service up high as a priority, not just the, the miter joints that they do at the job site. That's a really cool story. I like that. I'm sure nothing better than watching people stand outside the store reading all those, you know, those things. And I mean, that's exactly what social is today. I mean, it's just a different format. It's just a different medium, you know? Yeah. There's always ways to get that out there. But I think to your point, it sounds like, you know, like the dollars are important, but then you've got the whole package. So it's, it's vacation, it's health benefits, it's retirement, it's culture, it's all these things combined. Like how do you present a better opportunity as a whole? Um, no, one, so we don't miss it, you, you, you listed off a good list that we were talking about, Spencer. How about being appreciated? I think that's yeah. important, right? And, 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 you know, way back when, when I, I, I worked with a consultant when I was uh, young, starting in my business, and my employees told my, the consultant that I was a really nice guy, but I tended to really let them know when they did something wrong and didn't give them enough credit when they did something right. I actually looked at the, the guy, the consultant, and said, well, what do you mean? They're still here, aren't they? I let them still have a job. And, and he said, well, Sean, you know, maybe that works for you. But most employees, they, they're looking for some feedback, right? And they don't just assume because they still have their job, they're doing well. So, you know, it was things that I had to learn, too, from the beginning. So I, I share these things from uh, the school of hard knocks, I guess, is what I would say. <laughs> I, I went through them myself. I, I'm certainly not going to pretend to have been perfect my entire career on that stuff. Yeah. And that's one I feel like I have to keep relearning myself, too, because I think we, if... 
I don't know how you are, but I don't need a lot of that external validation. I'm fairly internally motivated. So I'll just keep going and going and going and going. And so if I'm like that, but I'm not giving it and somebody else maybe needs that, then, you know, I'm not being aware enough. So. Well, that would be a down to earth. You know, what I would tell you, Spencer, is in order for me to do that, to, to start recognizing the good things my employees did, what I did was I, I, I always used and I still to this day use a paper calendar, right? A book. And what I did was I went in and I, at a certain hour of each day that I didn't already have something scheduled, I made a note to compliment an employee. And so I had to find something that was real, do it real, right? So I had to learn that stuff. And, and you know, even though my intentions were good, I had to come across correctly. And you know what I found was when I did it, my employees loved it, the smile on their face, the spring in their step, their change in attitude. And it was like, Oh my gosh, look at look at how great that is. And and so after a while, I didn't have to think about it anymore because I felt good doing it and I got a reward for for complimenting them. And of course, it was a reward for them to be complimented because as human beings, we like to be appreciated. We like to hear that people like the things that we're doing. So I think, you know, maybe that's an important thing for business owners. We're all so stinking busy just trying to keep up. Maybe you have to make time during the day to work on that culture part and, and figure out ways to appreciate your employees in a way that's genuine to them. I love that example because I think that somebody could hear that and go, well, that's forced or that doesn't sound super sexy in the way it like gets done. It's almost like, I don't want to see how the sausage gets made, but I love how like it evolved, right? You know, it was like, hey, I know this is important. It's important for them. It's important for me. And then it became a habit, you know, so I like that. It reminded me of another totally unrelated, but it was a similar type of thing where maybe the answer doesn't sound super pretty, you know, in terms of how it gets executed. And it was, you know, how do you make time? You're this busy CEO. How do you make time to meet with all your family and friends and go out and do all these things? And he's like, I don't. Every year I reprioritize my top 20 people that I spend time with. And if you're not in that top 20, I pretty much say no. and People got all mad at that, you know, <laughs> but it's like, hey, I, you have to prioritize the things that, that are important to you and what you want to get done. And I feel like that kind of falls in that bucket, but it's so important for the culture and the team and, and everything. Any final thoughts? We got one last segment of the show, but any final thoughts on, I guess, just what we've been talking about is kind of some takeaways for people if they're thinking about this whole recruiting piece or job descriptions, or even the kind of performance models, anything that you'd kind of want to leave people with? Yeah, you know, when I get opportunity to talk to contractors, in, you know, in this subject range we're talking about, one of the things that I make them aware of is that, you know, don't wait until your employees come and tell you that they're leaving and somebody, you know, offered them health care or two bucks more an hour, because it's coming, right? There's, there's a lack of available people out there. And people are looking to steal, right? Whether you want to call it stealing or offering a better opportunity. So what I would suggest is don't wait. You know, start now and, and you know, give your employees what they deserve. Maybe give them more than you think they deserve so they won't go away. But is it, it maybe more than you think they deserve? But when you look at the marketplace, is that what other people are willing to pay? And I don't know about you, but if I'm raising a family and somebody else is going to be willing to pay me more, and I'll have more ability to support my family, then I'm probably going to do that. So I would highly recommend the things we've talked about here today. Think about putting those in place, not just for the people you're looking to hire, but maybe you ought to be proactive and, and make sure you're going to keep the people you have now before you start adding more people into the mix as well. 
great advice. I mean, if you have good people, retaining them is is everything. So, well, Sean, I've got one last segment of the show. We call it the Fast Five. I'm going to hit you with five rapid fire questions. Just say whatever comes top of mind. Ooh, how much time do I get? Succinct, but if you got a long answer, I'm I'm not too strict about okay. it. So we we kind of make our own rules in this section. Okay. <laughs> First question is: What's your favorite business book and why? You know what? What I th- I thought was a fun book. Bo Peabody wrote a book called Lucky or Smart, and he's <laughs> and, and basically what he says in the book is you have to be smart enough to know when you're lucky and lucky enough to know when you've been smart because it's definitely two different things. And I think that's maybe a good message for contractors is understanding that difference, right? Luck doesn't happen all the time, right? And the harder we work sometimes, the smarter we work, the luckier we get. That's really not luck, in my opinion. That's You're being fortunate because you're getting repaid for the effort you put in. So Bo Peabody talks about that. And I think that's one of the ones that's very memorable for me early in my career. Cool. I've never heard of that one. I'll have to add it to my list. So that's great. All right. Next question is, who is the most inspirational person in your life? I would have to say it's two. It's my, my daughters, my two daughters. They hold me accountable. They're opening up my eyes to new ways of looking at things, especially when it comes to saving the planet and, you know, and, and um, I don't know, just a lot of the social things that are going on within our country today. They're the ones that tolerate me and my, my old opinions, but uh, we can have good conversations so that they enlighten me. And I, I would say I am a much better person as a result of uh, having those two daughters. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Next question. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? I don't know. I guess if I had a superpower, it would probably be something that I could do to turn people's lives around in a much quicker way. When I see them suffering or see them, you know, stuck in a situation they can't get themselves out of, I would love to be able to do that. I love helping other people, especially what I really love is helping other people who want to be helped and will take the help and better themselves. That's the way I look. I don't like doing handouts, but sure. I am, I will give my heart and soul to somebody that'll work hard. So I, I guess that would be a if I could have a superpower and do that every day, then I, I guess I would. Uh, well, I'd live forever if I could do it every day, wouldn't I? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Never heard that one. That's a great one. All right. Describe yourself in three words. Oh, jeez. Again, that's a tough one. (laughs) I know. I sprinkle in, you know, some easy ones and then I just hit you with those. You got to (laughs) think. I would say three words. I would have to say precise, forgiving, and hardworking. Well, that's, I guess, is that four words? I'll give you the hyphen on hardworking. Yeah. <laughs> See, we make up our own rules. It works. <laughs> Sounds All good. right. Final question, Sean, is if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? People talk about the fact of how important employees are to a business. I don't disagree with that. But what I would suggest is if your business has the right systems, the right job descriptions, that describe, you know, say the outcomes we want. And again, they have to use your systems within your business. I would suggest to you, to you, that's how you can create great people. Rather than simply thinking you're going to go find somebody who's already the perfect employee, got all the skills, that's not going to happen. Unfortunately, every remodeling business is different because there's no school to become a remodeler. So that's what I would suggest is, is think about the fact of, Organize your business in a way that you are providing the opportunity for your employees to be successful. 
don't think you're going to make them successful. It's your systems that will make them uh, successful. And then they're the ones doing it. And I think that's the important part is because if they do it, they own it and they will really cherish. I think it might take several years, but eventually they will thank you for the opportunity that you've given them. Well, that's awesome advice and, and a good note to end on. Sean, I really appreciate you spending the time with me today. You're quite welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. Maybe we'll get to do it again. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Spencer. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sean. And as always, I know you're on the go, so let's pull out some action items. I think for me, the big one was reviewing your job descriptions, if you have them. If you don't have them, starting to write those out and build them for each position within the company. And as a subset of that, I really liked how he talked about having the outcomes in those job descriptions. So what do you actually want from all those bullet points? So thinking about a certain role, if they're going to do A, B, and C, okay, those are the things they're going to do. But if they do those things well, what is the desired outcome and having that piece of it? I thought that was a huge insight that we pulled out of that job descriptions piece there. And then thinking about kind of that benefits package, you know, what does that look like? And if we're all competing over top talent right now and it's hard to find good people, how can you create a better opportunity within your company, whether that's growth potential and upside or more flexibility or more benefits or whatever it may be, but thinking about what does that comprehensive package look like and maybe looking at some of your competition and trying to look at maybe finding some of their job postings online, seeing if you can uncover some things about their benefits packages. That was a thought that ran through my mind as I was talking to Sean was, hmm, I wonder if I could start making kind of a quick list basically of what are all the potential benefits or, or packages and how could you start to build in more benefits to those types of things. So I thought those were two really powerful takeaways and things that'll really help try to solve this problem of you know hiring good people, keeping good people, and finding good people, which is a, a big, big challenge right now. So thanks again for listening, guys. As always, would super appreciate leaving a quick five-star review or a comment. How are we doing here at Builder Funnel Radio? We are very, very dedicated to bringing in some great guests, some great content to help you guys grow. And so hitting the, the like button, hitting the review, leaving us a comment really, really helps spread the word. So thanks again. And we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And as a quick reminder, text radio to 33777 for some free goodies as a thank you for listening to the show. And if you got some value from today's episode, I just ask that you leave us a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and grow this awesome community of people who are working to improve their lives and their businesses. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.